right, so if you have your Bibles, please go uh, to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can have a Bible probably right in front of you, and also we have the scriptures on the screen. So Luke chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 1, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Uh, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house Today, So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. All right? May God uh, continue to bless us through his word. So we are uh, ending a series called Encounters with Jesus. This is the end of the series. This is the last sermon of the series, Encounters with Jesus. And I hope that the series has been a blessing to you. If you want to catch up with the other uh, six messages, you can go to our website, downyfirst.org, uh, or you can also listen to the messages on Spotify. And so you can just go say Downey First Christian Church on Spotify. You'll hear all the messages there. And so um, I want to I want to remind you about something that's going to happen next Sunday as well. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday, what it is, it is a, a celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, before the disciples. And I know there's a lot of controversy sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Like some people talk about the Holy Spirit and that's all they want to talk about, only the Holy Spirit. And then other people, when it's about the Holy Spirit, it's like, I don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit because it's about to get weird in here, okay? So... Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the topic of the Holy Spirit, and I promise you, you're going to be glad that you came, and you're going to be blessed. We're also having baptisms next Sunday. We have three baptisms lined up already for next Sunday. So hey, if you want to be baptized, and you're considering baptism, maybe next Sunday is your Sunday, all right? So that's going to be next Sunday. Don't, don't forget. You don't want to miss it. And so, um, so we're going to... We're going to uh, continue the series, and we're ending the series actually today, and we've been talking about um, the assumption that many people had regarding who Jesus would interact with. Like the assumption of all the religious leaders was, was that Jesus would hang out with them. Like they're the religious leaders, they're the ones that have their lives all together, but we've discovered throughout this whole series that the type of people that Jesus would decide to spend his time with were people that nobody thought that, that anyone would want to spend any time with, uh, and much less the Messiah, Right, And so we talked about all of this, and we realized that one of the things that, that uh, one of the criticisms that Jesus would uh, receive was this. It would say, he welcomed sinners and eats with them. And so when I think about that, I think about this entire series, and I think about you, and I think about me, and I think about our church collectively. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but a lot of people have opinions about things that we do. And it's normal, like it comes with a job. Some people have opinions about the sermon. Some people have opinions about the worship. Some people have the opinions about the lighting. Some people, they just have opinions. And it's fine. It's part, of the, it's part of the job. And some of the opinions are very helpful. So you hear the opinion, and it's great. And you make the changes because you feel like the opinion is appropriate. There are other opinions that are just annoying. 
right? You don't even want to hear it. But I'll tell you one thing. One thing that I will, that may be uh, considered a, a criticism, I will always take as a compliment, and it's this. Down here First Christian Church, they welcome sinners and they eat with them. If, that, if you think that that is a criticism, I will take that as a compliment because that's what Jesus did. And honestly, um, if we're not attracting the type of people that Jesus attracted, it is possible that we're not, we're not preaching the message that Jesus preached. So I don't know about you, but I'm okay with welcoming sinners. And not just welcoming sinners, I'm okay with welcoming sinners and eating with sinners but because, hey, newsflash, that's also you and me. And if you think that you're not a sinner, ask your spouse. She will tell you immediately the things in your life that aren't perfectly lined up, okay? So we've been discovering this in the past series. We talked about Nicodemus. We talked about the 10 lepers. We talked about the woman caught in adultery, the rich young ruler, uh, the Samaritan woman. And today we're going to talk about Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus, um, have, you, have you ever felt like someone got something that they didn't deserve? Have you ever felt like, like that, what, what, really, that guy? Like, really? Have you ever felt that? I know I have. Have you ever felt like someone got something that, like, they didn't even work for that, and they got that? Or on the flip side, someone gets something that they don't deserve it on the negative aspect? Like, for example, a child who's uh, being, like, all of the anger that this dad has is taking it out on his child, and he's abusing them? There's something in our heart that when we see something that seems unfair, it gets triggered. Like if we're thinking about a, a parent or a dad who's, who's, who's abusing uh, his son, is taking out his anger on his innocent child, we feel two things. Number one, we feel compassion for the child, and we probably also feel, feel anger toward the parent. There's something inside of us that triggers when there's this un imbalance. Like this isn't fair. This doesn't seem fair, right? But there's also the flip side. When some people, you know, they get something that they don't deserve, like, for example, Stefan Mandel. Do you guys know who Stefan Mandel is? I have a picture of Stefan Mandel. There's the guy with the beard. I think he's there. Okay. Do you guys know who that guy is? Anyone? Okay. Stefan Mandel was born in 1950, and he won the lottery. Not once. Not twice. This man won the lottery 14 times. Okay. That's just not fair. Like one time, I get it. Two times, okay, but 14 times, give me a break. Now, there's a whole backstory to him, and you can look him up if you want. It's very, very interesting. It's not fair. Some people are, are born also with disproportionately superior genes. For example, Jason Momoa. Like, how, how is that fair? You know, it's like just such superior, like how you can't compete with that. Look at that hair. I got nothing here. Okay? And so some things in life are just don't seem fair. Some people are born into amazing families. Some people are born into better opportunities. We look at certain things and we're like, this just isn't fair. There's something in our brains that tells us, you know, because human logic is simple, right? Like life is a transaction. If I put something in, I have to get something out. Like a vending machine, you put the money in and you want to get what you paid for. Um, my wife and I were at Citadel, the uh, outlet uh, mall, like a week ago, and I saw this vending machine, and I started feeling resentment toward this vending machine. And here's why. Because three years prior, three years prior, I remembered that I had put $5 into that vending machine, and I got nothing. 
I wanted water and they took my money and it never gave me my water and it did not give me my money back. So I looked at that vending machine and I'm like, you stole from me. You stole from me three years ago. It wasn't fair. It didn't feel fair. There's something that was out of balance. You know, I did my part. You didn't do your part. The reality is in life, that life just isn't fair. There is an imbalance. And the problem is that some people blame God. Like, like, like we assume that God promised to be fair. Like he's not keeping his part. Like we assume life needs to be fair. And if God was good, he would be fair. It's not true. Matthew 5.45 says this. It says, he causes the sun to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Well, that doesn't seem fair. It's not. And God is owning it. He's telling you, I'm not fair. Romans 9.15, this is um, the apostle Paul quoting uh, Exodus chapter 33. He says, for he says to Moses, God talking to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, it's not. It's not. And, and, and some say God is not fair. And I'll answer to that, yes, God is not fair. And I'll even say more. God doesn't intend to be fair. He's not set, he has not set himself out to be fair. What does fair mean? We all get an equal share. All your prayers get answered because you're a good person. It doesn't work that way. All your plans come into fruition because you pray every day. Good luck with that one. Your loved ones will never suffer because you have been an exemplary parent. That does, that's not the way it works. Fair is not what God is. And it is not what he has set out how to be. He has not set out to be fair. God is not fair. But he is just. And there's a difference. There's a big difference between fairness and justice. Some people say God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Now, I'm concerned about what they mean by that. If you say that, I'm concerned about what you mean by that. Because if what you mean when you say God is good is that God is fair, then you're setting yourself up for a disappointment. You see, God is a good father. He is a good father. And a good father is not going to be set out to be fair. Me as a father, with my kids, like what do they want? Like when they were little, five-year-olds, they wanted candy all the time. Candy and ice cream. I want candy and ice cream all the time. The more candy, the more ice cream, the better. As a good father, what am I going to do? Am I going to give them everything that they want? As much candy and as much ice cream as you want? Hey, from the kid's perspective, my dad is great because he gives me whatever I want. But I know that my, my five-year-old does not understand nutrition. And so I'm going to give him, even if he hates it, I'm going to give him broccoli because that's what's going to be good for him. And so in the same way that my five-year-old does not understand nutrition, many times we don't understand God's ways. See, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's Isaiah 55. You see, God is not fair, but that doesn't mean that he's not good. He is just. He's a good father, and sometimes he doesn't give us what we want. There's a difference between being fair and being just. How's that different? Well, fair comes from our limited perspective on what we think we deserve, not understanding the larger story because we don't have the capacity to. 
Justice comes from the perspective of God, and he, de- he defines it, and we submit to it, which positions ourself, ourselves properly in the world, and it helps us grapple appropriately with questions such as, why, does, why do bad things happen to good people? That guy was good. Why did that have to happen to that person if God is good, which is a flawed premise because it makes an assumption. And here's the assumption that we make when we say, why do bad things happen to good people? This is the assumption, that there, there is such a thing as a good person. And that may sound like, hey, I don't like what I'm hearing, but if you go to the scriptures, you're going to understand that Romans chapter 3 talks about there is no one righteous, no one, no one. You see, there's a flawed assumption that our default should be good things happening to us if we are good. That's, that's, I understand it. Like our default should be, if we're good people, then the result of that should that our life should pan out. And that's why we're surprised when things don't go our way. And we conclude, God is not fair. And we would be right, God is not fair. You see, biblically, God is just, but he's not fair. Biblically, we should be more surprised. Think about this. We should be more surprised if you understand our sta- if we understand our true status, we should be more surprised in our life when things go well than when things go bad. We should be surprised. Like, I get salvation, and on top of this, I get coffee? Oh, man, praise God for coffee. Anyone? On top of salvation, I get loved ones. I get some entertainment. I get good food. I get clean water. You see, all these things aren't promises. And the reality is that since we have sentenced, this is the biblical reality, sorry. The reality is that since we have sentenced ourselves to spiritual death through our own transgressions and sins, anything good that comes our way is not a right, but it is a blessing upon blessing. This is so important. You see, we have one promise from God. This is one promise from God, and that is salvation through Jesus to anyone that will come to the table, that will eat from the bread of life, that will drink from the well. And anything on top of that is not a promise. And it's not our right, but it is an overabundant blessing. You see, this is the trouble that, that all the people observing the interaction with Jesus and Zacchaeus were having. Like, this isn't fair. Like, why, why is Jesus giving this guy the time of day? Like, th- this guy... Zacchaeus, this guy was not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was a Jewish guy that was working for our enemies. This guy was a traitor, and he was making money off of our misery. Why in the world would God give this guy the time of day? This guy was a traitor. These guys would overcharge as much as they wanted, as long as Rome got their fair share. This guy was getting rich off the misery of his own people. Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus means pure and innocent. There's nothing pure or innocent about this guy. There's someone who was having good things happen to him even though he was bad, it was Zacchaeus. It was Zacchaeus. If there was someone who needed to to only receive the wrath of God on himself, it was Zacchaeus. It was this guy. However, Zacchaeus hears about Jesus. This crook, he hears about Jesus. He goes, he tries to find Jesus. He gets uh, curious. He comes, he, 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 
Jesus is walking, and he's like, oh, I think he's going to go over there. So he walks out there, and he climbs a sycamore fig tree, and he waits for Jesus. And he was short. Somehow, Luke decided it was important to add the fact that he was short. I'm not sure why. But, but this part gets me every time. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, Jesus looked up. That part always gets me. Jesus looked up. And the reason why that part always gets me, the fact that he looked up, is because the logic would be that Zacchaeus would look down at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, why don't you spend some time with me? I want to get to know you a little bit more. That's not the way it went. Jesus was the one that looked up at Zacchaeus. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. See, this was so scandalous that it becomes difficult to find a, a modern-day parallel for us to understand what was really happening here. Remember, the Samaritan woman, we talked about that he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass. He didn't just pass through Samaria. The Bible says he had to pass through Samaria. Similarly here, he says, I must stay at your house. At the beginning, we remember, he said he was passing through. He changed his plans completely to spend the night at Zacchaeus' house. And the reason for that, the reason for that is this, so that everyone around can understand and we can understand also this, that if there's hope for Zacchaeus, there's hope for everyone. So we can read about it 2,000 years into the future and realize that there's hope for you and for everyone that you know. You see, in Spanish, we have a, we have a saying. Some of you guys don't understand this. El ese no tiene perdón de Dios. Ese no tiene perdón de Dios. Which means that guy, not even God will forgive that guy. No tiene perdón de Dios. Right? And so when we think about the people who no tienen perdón de Dios... We think about those people, like I know people, like in my life and in your life too, by the way, you have people that you know or you have heard of, and you're like, that person no tiene perdón de Dios. Well, Jesus goes after those people. He goes after those people, and he looks up at those people, and he says, I'm going to spend time with you. That should mess with you a little bit. Because Jesus goes out of his way. You may look at some people and you may say, no tiene perdón de Dios. You, you may look at yourself this morning and you think, yo no tengo perdón de Dios. But those are precisely the people that Jesus goes out of his way to encounter. Why? So we can know that if there's hope for this man, there's, a, there's hope for you and for everyone you know. See, I want you to think about this for, for a minute here. Out of all the people Jesus could have spent the afternoon with, he decides to spend it with his traitor. I mean, imagine how, how valuable Jesus' time was on earth. That's why he was so criticized. Why didn't he spend his time with the poor? Why didn't he spend his time with a widow? Why didn't he find an orphan to spend his time with? No, this guy who was profiting from their misery, Jesus decides to not spend a couple of minutes with he spends the whole night with him. People are like, what? Seriously? Like, who are we? Like, whose side are you on? Of all the people he could have stayed with, he decided to spend it with the Jewish traitor who everyone was either jealous of or had bad blood with. That's why people immediately reacted in verse 7. He says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
This seemed unfair to everyone. But then Jesus wasn't hiding it either. This seems strange to everyone, including the tax collector, by the way. He's probably surprised himself. Everyone wanted a piece of Jesus. Everyone was happy. Jesus is here, you know, walking through, all excited, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus says something that, that changes the tone of everyone from joyful to resentful toward Jesus in a split second. You see, here's what everyone was assuming. When Jesus, here's, here's the assumption that everyone was making. When Jesus turns his head to look up at Zacchaeus, everyone was saying, he's going to let him have it. Because he knows, he knows this guy. He knows that he's a traitor. He knows that he's profiting off of our wealth. He knows of all people, he's going he's to turn his head. He's going to let him have it. It's just the opposite. He's like, nope, I'm going to change all my plans and I'm going to hang out with you for hours. <sighs> Everyone was scandalized. Whose side are you on, Jesus? You're rewarding him for cheating us out of our money? This is not fair. Well, God has not set out to be fair. He set out to be just, and there are many things that we don't understand. And here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Forgiveness and grace. Forgiveness and grace. See, they would have preferred, like many of us sometimes, they would have preferred that Jesus would have placed judgment on Zacchaeus and sentenced him to pay for what he did. But he didn't do that. He said, I'm going to spend, I'm gonna, we're going to hang out and we'll talk, right? You see, here's the lesson. Forgiveness and grace is a much more powerful force for life transformation than guilt and shame will ever be. We have to understand that. That's the, that's the Jesus way. It's not guilt and condemnation. It's forgiveness because forgiveness will hit you deep and it will change you from the inside out. That's what Jesus does. It's always been. I'm going to read verse 8, 9, and 10. It says this, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. I'm going to end with this. You see, this is what happened with Zacchaeus. This is what happened with that one leper that came back out of the 10. This is what happened with a woman who was caught in adultery. This is what happened with a Samaritan woman. And it can happen to you too. And everyone that you know just takes one encounter with Jesus. You see, this is what happens when Salvation enters your life. It's life change. It will change you. When you meet Jesus, it will change you. This is what happened with Zacchaeus. You see, Jesus came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is why Jesus came to earth. And it's why he is speaking to you right now. Jesus did not come for the qualified. He did not come for the perfect. He did not come for those who have it all together, but for sinners like you and me. So I'm going to ask you if we could uh, if we close our eyes here for a minute. I'm going, to, I'm going to say a few things, and then we're going to pray. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've, um, maybe you've lost your way a little bit. And this story maybe was 
was helpful to you to understand maybe a couple of things. Maybe number one, that you're not as disqualified as you thought. And number two, maybe the people that you know, the people that maybe you and I have dismissed are the very people that God will go out and seek and save. So maybe you're here and there needs to be a little bit of maybe deconstructing of your ideas about who Jesus is. Maybe you're here and you need to allow for forgiveness to come into your life. Maybe it's time to start forgiving yourself. Maybe there's all these assumptions about all the steps you need to take or the hoops you need to go through in order to be accepted by Jesus. Or maybe there are other people in your life that you've put all these uh, steps and hoops to go through in order for them to, to get close to God. So I want, you to, I want to invite you to think about this for a little bit and for you to understand why Jesus came, why Jesus came into the world and why Jesus wants to step into your life. He stepped into this world not to condemn not to put a guilt trip on you, but he came to seek and to save everyone who's lost. And I don't know about you, but I get lost sometimes. And this world is lost and it's confused. And we need a savior. So if you're here this morning and you would like, to me, like for me to pray over you, maybe you... You're here and you feel like you need a savior. You feel lost. I want to ask you to just raise your hand and put it right back down. I'm just going to do a prayer for you. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you. Lord God, we, we present this um, message to you and we recognize, God, that we, we need a savior. We need for you to, to, to guide us, to save us, to, to come to our lives and, and help us walk with you. I thank you, Lord God, because the, the story of Zacchaeus helps us understand that even though some, some people we feel are just so far from you and would never, ever receive any grace from you because of all the things that they've done. The story reminds us that there's hope for Zacchaeus and there's hope for us and there's hope for everyone that we know. Anyone who will come to the table, anyone who will drink from the water is welcome. You don't, you don't reject anyone. Many people reject you, but you don't reject anyone. And so God, I, I thank you because because these hands were lifted up today and, and this is a sign that, that people want to drink from you. And I pray for them, God, I pray that you will allow for them to drink from the well and when they drink from the well of life that this, this water will turn into a fountain that will overflow into eternal life. We pray this for everyone here who raised their hand and for everyone here today, Lord. So we thank you, God, for the message and we present this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen.